So one of the really interesting things about a crisis like this is people's reaction to leadership. Uh, leadership is such an important thing at a time when people are disturbed and routines are disturbed and decisions have to be made quickly and there isn't time um, to build consensus uh, or to legitimise decisions with the usual processes. And so what we saw, for example, was that Donald Trump uh, had a massive boost to his ratings, highest favourability ratings yet. Uh, Boris Johnson, similarly, the Tory party hitting 50% at one point, absolute madness, um, despite the fact that the weaknesses of the NHS are on show for all to see. Even Leo Varadkar making an absolute milk toast speech um, got praised uh, by people who normally would have a bit of sense. But I feel like that period of time has uh, relented a little bit, and as a result of that, we're beginning to have like a little bit more serious debate about some particular things and one of them is the one that I have been talking a lot about which is about the decisions we make about civil liberties. I say this as I'm sitting in a, in a park which is kind of deserted but for a couple of people here staring weirdly at me because they can see that I'm making a recording and they're sitting two meters apart and their six-year-old is running around pretending to be Batman. Um, and it's interesting that that debate has not just been had among like say you know liberal lefties or anarchists or um, you know, even like libertarian right-wing people, but it's actually happening among the. It's it's happening at the heart of the capitalist class and their document, their their publications. It's in the Telegraph, it's in the Financial Times, it's in City AM. I've just been reading an article on City AM where they talk about the fact that um, it's perfectly fine for the chief medical officer and his deputies to be advising the government on author authoritarian measures because they're raison d'etre, their calling, their vocation is to save lives at all costs and so like it, it, it shouldn't, if, if, if your job is to be like the chief doctor then you don't really care about civil liberties, why should you? After all um, there are certain kinds of authoritarianism that everybody accepts, you know everybody accepts the authority of the healthy over the um, the dying, everybody accepts the, um, the authority of the sane uh, over the psychotic so for doctors they don't really need to think too much about those ethical questions because their brains should in some way be freed up in order to think medically and save lives but for the government it's a different story so this is what City AM's editor I think I'll check the story was arguing um, and in some ways I agree with that because it's the government's job to make decisions about civil liberties it's not really for the health service um, or their officers to make that decision although of course their job is to advise in, uh, in, within the parameters of what's possible and what's safe um, and what can be managed. Um, but here we are finally having a serious debate and there's a number of things that have brought on that serious debate. A couple of things. Um, there, was a, there was a spate of nice weather a couple of days ago, though it's got colder now, um, and that sort of brought people outside and um, at the same time, I imagine lots of people who had got their first wave of shopping done in the panic uh, phase find themselves running low on some goods, find themselves feeling a little bit of cabin fever, and a whole bunch of different um, uh, factors have therefore led to more people just venturing outside for a bit, and they've then come into contact with the state. Now here's the interesting thing, most of the time middle class people don't really experience the long arm of the law that often except whenever they give a nice knowing nod to the police um, who go around harassing the homeless. 
but um, suddenly people who are on their way to Waitrose find themselves um, being questioned by the Met Police, or in the case of whoever's writing for City AM, the City of London Police, um, who normally I imagine don't have a great deal to do. Um, they once sent out a police helicopter for my brother, which is funny, but that's another story. So uh, people are therefore finding themselves uh, in contact with the police where they might not have experienced that before. And something that they find out is that the, nobody particularly likes speaking to the police uh, because everybody likes to go about their business. And so we get this debate about whether we're sort of sliding into a police state. Um, I just walked uh, Rachel over to the health centre uh, to get a checkup from the midwife and then I went for a run. And on our way there we were just commenting on how it's all just looking a little bit handmaid's tale at the minute. You see people queuing outside um, of our local cafe where they do some fresh veg and the co-op and some of the other shops. And everybody's in these queues, like two meters apart, and they're all wearing gloves and masks, and it's all just very dystopian looking. Um, I'm not complaining about that. I mean, that's fine. But I don't want anybody to get sick. I, I don't per se have a problem with any of the individual measures, but that's always the case with um, the problem with authoritarianism is that we we are often all perfectly happy to give up this or that freedom, and we all consult to it on. An, uh, um, consent to it on an individual basis and then whenever we consent to it on an individual basis we suddenly find that collectively we've given up more than we did individually um, and that is that's something that's happened massively with online um, uh, harvesting of big data uh, it's something that's happened massively with consumer rights particularly when it comes to digital and property rights intellectual property and all that kind of stuff and so um, maybe we're experiencing the same thing so then we also got on to talking about what happens when the restrictions are lifted because I don't know about anybody else but I mean what I imagine will happen is I'll see all the people I love very quickly and hug them <laughs> and I imagine that uh, all the people are going to be doing the same um, people will be going and uh, having all of those romantic affairs that they wanted to have. People will be uh, going hugging their family and seeing their grandpa and just all of the things that viruses love. So um, are we going to have a weekend of that and just like another COVID crisis? Or are they going to slowly reduce the lockdown measures? And if they do, who gets to choose who can go outside first and what they can do and who they can see? It's an absolutely insane thought to think that the government is mandating who we can visit and they'll say like no this person's over 70 so you can't visit your grandmother but you can go and see your stepdaughter but you can't go and see your cousin but you can go and see your best friend but you can go and see your boss because you're allowed to go to work so you can see your boss that's fine you can, your boss can tell you what to do but you can't see your mum like it's just such a strange thing I've never thought of anything like this whatever happened in um, you know in our liberal democracies um, it's not that I didn't think it would ever happen in liberal democracies, actually. I just didn't think it would happen like this. I just didn't think that the authoritarianism would be, would come as a result of um, a virus. But then we should have known that. Uh, because the one thing that's absolutely certain, other than death and taxes uh, in the 21st century, is environmental destruction. Uh, and we're doing it now because of viruses. But very soon we're going to be doing it because of poisoned air. And very soon we're going to be doing it because of undrinkable water. And very soon we might be doing it because of radiation or nuclear fallout or, God no or climate change or God knows what else. And that's not to be um, alarmist, but that's just like you just follow the graphs and it's uh, mathematical certainty.
So, um, Rachel went to see the midwife today, um, which it, she hasn't got to see the midwife um, at all in person um, until today, So, it, it, which is just a bad situation. But um, had to wait outside for ages in the cold, which I just think is unacceptable, but obviously they've got the whole social distancing thing going on. Um, and they wanted to give her a surgical sweep which is like a thing that the obstetrician does in order to try to um, uh, stimulate uh, the, the, the physiological changes that happen just before labor. Um, if you don't know what a surgical sweep is, you probably don't wanna know. You can look it up, it's not nice, it's not pretty. Um, she didn't want uh, to have that because uh, it's incredibly uncomfortable and the last time it was painful and she tried to talk her out of it, um, uh, the obstetrician I mean, um, but the, uh, she got talked into it and it was fine and so um, that can bring on labour within 72 hours, it's no, it's, it's has been known to do that. But certainly they said that she can expect to give birth in the next 10 days, which considering she's already two days overdue, seemed like an incredibly long time to me. So it's the 1st of April and baby could be born anywhere between now and like the 11th of April, maybe even the 12th of April, they said. And I just really hope that it's not that length of time because uh, I, I don't want her to be in any more of this exhaustion and pain. And I kind of feel like we're just ready to start the next chapter and it would be really nice if um, rather than just all the doom and gloom that's in the world at the minute, we, we just had our little bubble to treasure and could get on with the fun and also have the baby while Rachel's dad's still here, which is kind of important to Rachel. Um, apart from anything else, just because he can drive us to the hospital. Um, but uh, just to have for her surrounded by her family, I think would be a big deal. So the the tension is mounting. We just really just want this labour to happen now. Um, it's already been such a long and strange experience to go through the whole lockdown business while also expecting a baby. Uh, and we've got to the point now where it's just like, okay, enough already. There's no novelty anymore. Let's just let's just make it happen. So the article in City AM there was actually by Sophie Kahn, who is a human rights and civil liberties specialist. Although I didn't obviously particularly like the bent of the um, article, especially towards the end, it talked about maintaining a sense of Britishness and a breakdown in the social fabric and all this sort of nonsense. And I think um, what would be much more interesting is if we could have a discussion about how um, she calls for the government to bring in a wider team of specialists in order to make planning for the next three months and to consider what kinds of civil liberties might be restricted and how people might be willing to give them up and how sort of consent could be achieved. Um, but I think there's like actually big questions to be asked about why it is that um, certain problems seem to have been solved almost overnight. Um, on the Newsnight report last night there was a uh, um, they were just having a look uh, at Avon and Somerset and they were looking at how the local authorities have all been told that people shouldn't be homeless during this crisis. What so people should, so it's fine for people to be homeless not during this crisis. What nonsense! Um, you know, it's, there's been lots of things that have been proven here. Uh, hospitals can be built when need be uh, in Ireland. Um, 
the the uh, HSE can effectively nationalise all of the private hospitals. Um, we've seen that new hospitals can be can be built in in a matter of days. Um, we've seen that homelessness can be largely eradicated. Uh, we've seen that um, people who are struggling to be paid can get government support. All of these things. Um, if you if what you want to do is to build the consensus in a society where we face an existential threat, then maybe admitting that those those truths might go beyond the next six weeks could be a really good way um, to start. That that would be my thoughts on the matter. But I'm glad to see that the debate is, uh, is being had. You know, they did say on Newsnight that um, one of the things that this kind of highlights is that uh, most people think of the relationship between citizen and state as being fixed, but this actually shows its flexibility and its fluidity, and that's very true. Um, the problem with the um, the social contract, the problem with uh, the nature of authority and legitimacy and all these things is that we take so much for granted and that we assume that they're you know the result of um uh, that there's no alternative and that there's a certain immutable way that things should work and of course that's nonsense our social relations are defined by the society that we that we grow up in but of course they're always changed as well and we can we can create change we can do things differently we can have a completely different kind of society you know it's not crazy that broadband should be free because it's not crazy that it should be paid for through taxation because it's not crazy to say that everybody needs access to broadband in order to live a fulfilling life in the 21st century and so broadband should be free at the point of need and it should be publicly funded and it should be uh, planned and it should be democratically uh, accountable and the people who run the broadband network have to be able to answer to the citizens in the same way as the people who run the health service. And all that's left to say is that we are the most successful species on the planet and this is a piece of RNA and we're going to destroy it. <laughs>